just being genuinely helpful to your target market, help them make a purchasing decision. And maybe that purchasing decision is you or maybe it's someone else. Either way, they're gonna arrive at that conclusion. But if you can be part of the conversation, you can help them make a decision that's going to be right for them. And hopefully that's you. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Alan Dibb. Alan is one of the world's leading marketers and marketing trainers. He has a fantastically successful book, The One-Page Marketing Plan available on Amazon. Today, he's joining us to share some key marketing and sales and revenue generation lessons specifically for the real estate investors out there who are growing a business. Whether you're raising capital from passive investors, doing deals and marketing to potential sellers, no matter what, marketing is the key to growing a business. And today, we're digging into some really juicy lessons with Alan today. I learned a lot from this interview, and I know you will as well. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. If you're just hearing my voice on the audio podcast, be sure to join us on YouTube. Check out the video interviews there as well. If you're joining us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, and we'll see you here once again in the future. Once again, our guest today is Alan Dibb. We're talking all about marketing and just key knowledge and lessons you need to get more leads and close more deals. Without any further ado, let's go. Alan, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to pick your brain about marketing and what it takes to grow a business through marketing. But before we dive into it, can you tell our listeners a bit about your very inspiring story and how you grew and sold your first business and moved on from there? Sure. So a lot of people would know me as the author of the book, The One Page Marketing Plan. But uh, my background is not as an author or as an entrepreneur. I really started my first business, which was an IT consulting business, struggled for a long time to get clients in the door built that up, grew that just really through trial and error. I read every marketing book. I attended every marketing seminar. And I was really just trying to solve my own problem, which is figure out how does a dead broke IT geek get clients in the door. So that took me on a on about a 10-year journey to learn that process. I built, grew, that business sold it off. I started another tech company after that. We grew very rapidly. And four years later, we exited that quite successfully. And Now I'm working with folks every single day, myself and my team, on helping others basically grow through marketing and really build their own marketing capabilities. So the business we run now is kind of the opposite of a marketing agency. So marketing agency will do your marketing for you. We will help you build your own marketing capability, your own marketing muscle. Awesome. So before we dive into the real knowledge, I always feel compelled to ask folks who have had such great success like you have. What keeps you going and pushing forward? Having had all these successes in business, you're probably at a point where you don't really need to keep hustling. Heck, you told me you were up at 7 a.m. your time recording a podcast interview. You probably don't need to do that, but what keeps you going every day and and so motivated to stay engaged? Yeah, look, I I love seeing the impact of the stuff that we do. Having said that, I absolutely do 
uh, flip-flop from time to time from like, hey, I'm just going to chill out and run a lifestyle business. And then a few months of that and you're like, no, nah, I've had enough. I'm going to grow this baby. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's in the blood a lot. But really, I think as an entrepreneur, you're either growing or you're rotting. It's one or the other. And so you, you've really got to do that. And I just really enjoy the impact and seeing the changes in businesses that really implement this stuff. It's just uh, mind-blowing and life-changing. Awesome. Wow. Love that. Very inspiring. So today I'd like to dive into your three essentials for rapid business growth. And we could start probably at any point amongst them, but let's start at number one, the first essential for rapid business growth. Yeah. So I've split up my one-page marketing plan into three major phases. So there's the before phase where someone doesn't really even know that you exist. There's the during phase, which is someone's maybe vaguely interested in what you've got to offer. They've put their hand up and said, hey, I'm interested. It might have been through clicking an ad, calling your office, responding to one of your emails, whatever it is. And then there's the after phase, which is really how do you deliver a world-class experience? How do you get someone to buy more from you, refer more business to you, and do more with you over time? So really, if you can nail those three phases, and they're the three phases of my one-page marketing plan, you're going to have a very high growth business. So it really starts with the before phase. So when someone doesn't know you exist, uh, there's three things we've got to do. We've got to figure out who our target market is. We've got to figure what message is really going to resonate with our target market. And then we've got to figure out, okay, how are we going to reach that target market? Meaning what media are we going to use? And so those three things are just absolutely the fundamentals to that first before phase. So sometimes people call that the awareness phase or the before phase, but it's basically getting someone to be attracted to what you do and your message. So when they hear or read your message, they say, that that sounds interesting. I want to know more about that. So a lot of our folks out there who are listening, trying to tailor this themselves, they're building businesses that are attracting either real estate deals or potential investors to their deals and deciding on your potential market can feel, it's kind of scary to narrow your market down so significantly because mm. you might think, hey, I want anybody with money to invest exactly. in my deals, right? I don't want to narrow it down exactly. too much. But is it beneficial to narrow down more than you think you might need to? Yeah. Very common. We'll start working with a client and they do something that a lot of people could benefit from. So maybe a doctor, lawyer, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever, real estate, investor, and you say to them, well, tell me about your target market. And they're like, hey, everyone is in my target market. And it feels like if you cast the net wide that you'll get more people. And in fact, quite the opposite is true. Like if you're all things to all people, you can't come out there with an attractive message. So what you need to do is really narrow down and figure out who are my people? Who are the people I can serve the, the best? Who are the people I enjoy working with the most? Who are the most profitable people to work with? And when I think about real estate investing, so there are high risk, high reward projects. There are kind of stable and steady positive cash flow. There are ones that maybe you're engineering like a tax loss or whatever. So there are a lot of different goals. So depending on someone's situation, they might may be wanting something high risk, high reward a little bit exciting, faster moving. Others just want a very reliable, steady cash flow. So you need to be very clear about what, 
who your target market is and what they actually want, because then we can go out with a very specific message. If we just go out to the marketplace and say, hey, invest some money with us and hopefully you'll make some money back at some stage, it's not going to be a very attractive message. But someone who's seeking safety or certainty or excitement or high returns or whatever, they're going to respond to a very different message than somebody else. So someone who's looking for safety and maybe low leverage, but very steady returns is going to respond to a very different message than someone who wants a a high risk, high return project to make a lot of money in a very short period of time. So you've got to tailor your message to whoever your ideal target market is so that when they see your message or hear your message, they go, oh, awesome. That's for me. I need that. Great. Okay. So once we have that initial awareness established, let's say we've decided who that target market is and we're starting to market to that person, how do we continue to build that awareness, build that knowledge, build their interest in working with us beyond that initial, hey, I know about this guy or this business? So something like real estate investing or investing in general is what I call a high consideration purchase, right? Meaning, generally speaking, you don't wake up one morning and sort of impulse buy a real estate investment, right? Maybe with a pair of shoes or something that's a much lower consideration purchase, that may happen. But generally speaking, someone doesn't wake up in the morning and like, I think I'm going to do a real estate project today. So let me see where I can put in a few million dollars, (laughs) right? So they're going to want to do some research, some due diligence, look at different options, figure out what what's right for them or whatever. So they're going to go through that process regardless. You might as well be involved in that process, right? You might as well be a voice that is there helping them make an informed decision, even if that informed decision is, hey, the stuff I've got is not really right for you. So maybe you'd be better served working with somebody else, right? Or this person or that person does more what you're after. So That's totally fine to do that. So what we want to do in the during phase, once we've created awareness, they're kind of vaguely interested in what we've got to offer, is really take them through a lead capture and a lead nurturing phase. So when I think of prospects, I think of them in two buckets. There are people who are ready to buy immediately. That's a very small percentage of your addressable target market. And everybody's fighting for them. Everyone's running ads for them. Everyone's cold calling them. Everyone's really chasing those people. And so it's a very small percentage of people. And that's fine. We can absolutely close those deals and work with those people. But there's a much larger bucket of people who are ready to buy sometime in the future. That could be in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year, two years time. It's not unusual for someone to have been on my email list for a year before they raise their hand and say, look, I've been reading your stuff, really like it, resonate with it, whatever. I'm interested in working further with you, getting some consulting or joining one of your programs or whatever. Now, imagine what a wasted opportunity it would have been if a year ago I didn't have a mechanism for them to to join my list, to engage, to see my stuff, to interact. And I would say the vast majority of our revenue comes from people who've been on our mailing list for some period of time. And so if you don't have something like an email list or some way to engage and nurture prospects over time, it's going to be a massive missed opportunity. Where What a lot of people try is to try to do that manually, build those relationships, meet people, go over coffee and all of that. And that's totally fine. That's a great thing to do, but that's very hard to do at scale and very hard to do consistently. So 
this is where a lot of our marketing techniques come in. I think of marketing as leverage. And what leverage means is we get more output than our input. So if we have a certain amount of input, we get much more output as a result. That's what leverage means. So our output is much greater than our input. So how can we put a certain level of time, money, and energy and get much more time, money, and energy out the other other end? And so that's really what a leveraged marketing system does. So that's what we really need to do. We need to figure out how do we engage and keep warm and progress those relationships of people who are not ready to buy today, but will be ready to buy sometime in the future. So in the context of email marketing specifically, how do you know when enough's enough? When you're, How do you know that you're not hammering somebody with too many emails or you're hitting that sweet spot that's going to send them down the, whatever path is right for them, whether it's to engage further with you or to head elsewhere? How do you not like overdo it? Or on the flip side, how do you not underdo it and not contact them enough and mm. hitting that? Yeah, look, there's a few guidelines, but I would say for the vast majority of people that we see, it's highly likely you're underdoing it. It's very rare for me to have looked at someone's marketing and say, hey, you're really overdoing your email marketing. Almost never has happened. So it's most likely you're underdoing it, if anything. Now, the other thing is what we want to be sending those people is not, hey, buy my stuff, right? That gets old and boring very quickly. What we want to do is we want to create value in their life. So somebody who's making a purchasing decision, what are the things that they're going to be looking at? So you likely either know it or you can get to know it very easily. So like I'll give an example from my life. So I was looking at buying an electric car. And so I was thinking about, okay, what are some of the things I need to know? Okay, I need to have a charging station in my garage. Now, uh, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and started researching, okay, there are these fast chargers, but you need a certain power supply, three-phase power supply or whatever, all of this sort of stuff. Then there's different different types of chargers. There's the Tesla style. Then there's the this other type one, type two, whatever. And so all of this, like I had to kind of gather myself, figure it out, curate that information. Now, if someone could have served that up to me on a silver platter and said, look, here's what you need to know when you're buying an electric car. There's these three types of charging stations. If you want a fast charging station, you're going to need to do this, that, and the other. Here's what you need to know about range and so on and so forth. So if so, if you can package up a lot of the due diligence and the the things that you know your audience is going to need to know before they make a purchasing decision, you're going to be much more in that front row when they're ready to buy a decision. They're going to be, trust you, like you more because you've been genuinely helpful to them. So the marketing that I recommend people do is just being genuinely helpful to your target market. Help them make a purchasing decision. And maybe that purchasing decision is you, or maybe it's someone else. Either way, they're going to arrive at that conclusion. But if you can be part of the conversation, you can help them make a decision that's going to be right for them. And hopefully that's you. So really being value first marketing. So really think of your marketing as part of your product. So, and it may be a product that's currently free, but really thinking about that as part of your product. So it's not, hey, buy my stuff, being annoying, sending promotional stuff. Certainly having a commercial element to it is important, but really being driven by value and helping them through their journey of wherever they want to get to. That's where being a subject matter expert and experience and everything, bringing your knowledge to the table can really make a difference, I suppose. So 
at what point in 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 your mind does a customer relationship or a transaction or however you want to put it shift from being marketing to sales i think especially as businesses grow there tends to become a disconnect from between the marketing and the sales process or do you see those two different at all how do you think about the combination or the relationship between marketing and sales yeah but often there's this siloed disconnect where the sales people say ah oh, the leads suck and the marketing people are like hey you guys can't close and so what we want to do is we, we want to think of that really as the revenue department and really just to simplify a couple a few things really marketing is sales at scale it's really sales in a one-to-many scenario. So we're selling in a one-to-many, whereas sales is sales on a one-to-one basis. So really, there's we need to think of these as the revenue department, that we've got to be singing from the same hymn book. We've got to, we've got to really be on the same page. And so super, super important to have these groups integrated where they're not this siloed activity where there's a very clean handover and very marketing is actually helping get sales over the line. And marketing doesn't end when it becomes tagged as a sales lead or whatever in the CRM. That's when I think the marketing process becomes even more important because as someone from sales is speaking to the prospect, if they're getting more value, they're getting your marketing material that's genuinely helpful and genuinely helping them make a decision, that's going to make the sales process so much easier. So one of my favorite things to do in my business is to hire people to handle stuff for me because I like to create systems and processes, set them up, and then walk away and make sure they get done still. But if I have to do it over and over again, honestly, it's not going to happen. I need to be able to walk away from it, move on to the next big thing. But in the context of marketing, it's hard to do that and remain effective. Are you investing in real estate passively, but don't know what red flags to look for? Well, we've got the answer for you, a free seven-day video course on red flags in passive real estate investing that you can get right now by going to PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. Seven days, seven videos, seven red flags in passive real estate investing. Check it out, PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. Now back to the show. So how do you think about building a team in a marketing system or business and making sure that they keep the results going, know what they're doing and continue to add value to the business without taking all of your time and managing them and pointing them in the right direction? Yeah. It's something we do literally every day. We help people develop their own marketing capability. And often it starts with hiring someone who's a head of marketing that could be whatever their title is, could be a marketing coordinator, most often a marketing coordinator. So who's the person who's really going to wake up in the morning and be responsible for marketing? A lot of times we find the founder or the owner of the business is like marketing is one of the 10 things that they've got to to do on their list, right? And guess what happens? It drops in urgency. Some fire happens, an employee, a class customer, some issue, whatever. And so it tends to be that thing that's important, but not necessarily urgent. And so it kind of drops down the list. So one of the things, one of the first things we do is figure out, okay, let's put someone in a seat who's going to be the person who's responsible for running this bus of marketing, really. And the way that we win the game of marketing is just doing the daily, weekly, monthly stuff. It's not any kind of genius campaign, any kind of crazy 
concepts or whatever. It's just really doing the basics. It's, if I want to get strong, there's really three to five movements. There's like a deadlift, there's a squat, there's a bench press, maybe at a, at a row or something like that. You don't have to do a thousand things to get strong. There's maybe three to five moves. Same thing with marketing. If you want to get really good at marketing, there's not a thousand things you have to do. I mean, there's a thousand things you could do, but really two, three, four, five moves done consistently will really get you there. It'll help you build your marketing muscle. And so as you get get those things going and systemized, you can add more and more. But really, a lot of it is just really the fundamentals. And a lot of times when we work with clients, we actually look, we actually tell them to do less. Like the, a lot of times they expect, okay, we're going to add a lot of things to do. A lot of times we're removing stuff to do because let's get the fundamentals right. And if we get those right, then we can add the TikTok, the social media, the whatever, all of that sort of stuff. But let's get the fundamentals right. So fundamentals like, hey, have we got a CRM in place? Have we got our messaging right? Have we got a someone to run the marketing day-to-day who wakes up and just really thinks about marketing your business? Are we doing basics like email marketing regularly and consistently in a way that is valuable to, to the audience? So once we get some of these fundamentals in place, it really takes off like a rocket ship because exactly as I mentioned in the analogy of if we want to get strong, we need to do the same three to five moves consistently for a period of time. We're going to get strong. Like if you, you keep doing that, you will get strong. Nice. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned social media. That brings me to another thing I wanted to bring up is in your opinion, what is the marketing technique or strategy that people are overdoing and over-indexing to? And then on the other side of that, what is the technique, strategy, tool, whatever you want to put that people are undervaluing and not doing enough of? That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give you I'll give you a couple. So what people do too much of, I think, is just jump on whatever's kind of flavor of the month, the new social network or the TikTok, the whatever. And I'm not against any of those things. I, I love social platforms. They can be massively impactful and, and useful. The thing to really know and keep in mind is social media is a treadmill, right? The way you can't just do a dabble in it a little bit. We'll do a little bit of Twitter. We'll do a little bit of link. We'll jump on every now and then or whatever. That's going to do nothing for you. So the algorithms are designed to reward consistency. So someone who posts every day or multiple times a day. So you need to treat this like a paid media channel, right? It may feel like it's free. Hey, yeah, we can just post whatever we want, reach people for free. It is not. You need to resource it appropriately so that you can stay on that treadmill and do that consistently. If you have a look at people who are really nailing social media and doing it really well, they post a lot of content a lot uh, in a lot of volume, in a lot of frequency. If you can't commit to doing that, then there are strategies that you can kind of do social media light, but you're probably not going to get a massive amount of return on that. But there are strategies that where you don't have to be on that treadmill but you can still be consistent and get really good results. So something that people under-index on are things like email marketing. Every year we hear, hey, email marketing is dead. Well, it's something that drives millions of dollars of revenue for both myself and for, for clients. And it's something that I think is been us for, it's been with us for decades, and I think it's going to be with us for decades longer. If you want to reach someone uh, with a high probability of success where you can't be deplatformed, where you can't be shadow banned, all of these sorts of things. That's really email marketing. And 
potentially even reaching out to them via phone or via mail or whatever. I mean, these all sound like old school things, but you wouldn't believe how effective sometimes just sending someone a handwritten note is or reaching out via email or sending them a package in the mail. It's hugely effective, especially with the cost of digital ads at the moment. Hey, well, we emailed you to get you on the show. So there's a case in point. It works. Thanks to work. <laughs> so before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, your book has been immensely successful. I looked up the uh, Amazon page earlier today. I think it had over 9,000 reviews, if I'm remembering the number correctly, a yeah. colossal figure number of reviews. And might seem a little silly to ask the marketing guy what made him so successful in marketing his book, but what did it? I mean, what set your plan to market your book apart from all of the other marketing books that are out there mm. on Amazon? Yeah. Well, it'd be embarrassing to write a marketing book and not have it set right? so, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but look, I think first thing is having a big idea, right? So where someone reads the title and thinks, oh, I want that, right? So the one-page marketing plan, hey, we can have a marketing plan in one page. A lot of people want that, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The, That seems like a cool concept, a big idea. Next is really to think of it like a product. Like what a lot of authors do is in launch week, they put all their resources, try to get there on the bestseller list and in launch week, and that's it. And then they move on to their next book or their next project or whatever. I see it as a product within our business. And so we promote it now, years later, more than I promoted it in launch week. We can, we're consistently running ads where I'm appearing on podcasts. We do a lot of marketing for the book. So that's really the second thing. Third thing is really writing a really good book. <laughs> it sounds, sounds weird, but like if we got people to read it, but they hated it, they wouldn't refer their friends. They wouldn't tell their colleagues or any of that stuff. So the content is genuinely good. I mean, I was speaking a few months ago and I held up a copy of book, my book and I said, this is the best marketing book I've ever read. I mean, it's <laughs> a little bit shameless or, or whatever, but really this is the book I wish I had when I was first learning marketing. And literally every single day I get emails from people saying, oh, I read your book. I loved it. I referred it to my colleague, my friend, my brother, my, my boss, whatever. And so writing content that's genuinely helpful and gen genuinely useful will help with shareability. People will want to share that with other people. And so that's super helpful when one reader becomes two readers or five readers or 10 readers, that's definitely going to help your book sales. Awesome. I said that would be the last question, but I got one more here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Is that is there anything that you tried in marketing the book that you were disappointed in the results and changed? So a lot of time you think getting press and PR is going to blow things up for you. I mean, we were on Forbes, we were on all of these sorts of ink. And that's nice to put the Forbes or Ink logo or whatever on your website or sure. whatever. It, that, it doesn't hurt. But I, I don't think it drove very many sales at all. I think ads on Amazon, I think podcasts, I think really some of the grassroots stuff is far more effective. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Well, so much knowledge today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail 
of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Alan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best financial investment, I think, has been consistently residential real estate. So we've had a pretty consistent residential real estate boom over the last few decades here in Australia, and I think I've done pretty well out of that. Nice. I've heard prices are pretty high down there, and you uh, rode the wave, so that's great. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst would be my early days in share trading. I, I remember, I I can't remember exactly the amount I put in, but the first time I put it in, I made money and I'm like, wow, this is so easy. I just put money in and get more money out. This is amazing. And so, of course, they say the worst thing that I knew trader can do, the worst thing that can happen to a new trader is that they make money on their first trade because you feel like, hey, this is easy. And so, of course, you know where this goes, right? So I put more money in and lost a whole bunch of money doing it that way. Tough lessons to learn, but <laughs> yeah. important ones nonetheless. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So the most important lesson, and I think this applies not just to business and investing, but it's the returns really come from compound interest. And I don't mean literally compound interest, but it, it can mean that, but compounding returns, wow, whether it's fitness, whether it's knowledge, whether it's finance, compound interest is really the best way to get wealthy, to get fit, to get healthy, all of those sorts of things. So that's been the best lesson in my life to just continue, just small compounding gains on a continuous basis. I love that. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge. Really appreciate your time. If folks want to learn more, get in touch, learn more about your business, find your book, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. So the book is available where books are where sold, Amazon. It's very popular on Audible in audio format as well. And join our, our free newsletter, successwise.com. We send out valuable marketing information a couple of times a week. So I'm sure everyone will enjoy that. Awesome. Well, to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll catch you on the next one.